and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Uh, we're going to be talking about spring cheat grass control, and uh, I'll turn this conversation to my brother Brian because I don't know how to do that, Brian. I mean, spring cheat grass control, if it got started last fall, has a huge root system underneath it, and already has a jump on the crop. I don't know how to totally get that cheatgrass under control in the spring. Well, you may not get it totally under control in the spring, but you've at least got to try. So if it's a spring crop, it's easy. You just burn down with Roundup. Roundup is great on cheatgrass, but here's the thing. You're going to have to run with a higher rate of Roundup than you would for most other grasses. The reason why is because, like you said, that cheatgrass has a really good just it's harder to kill so it's absolutely not resistant to roundup in any way but you have to make sure you're running a good strong rate in addition to that the reason why the rate's so important in the spring is because a lot of times it's cooler when you spray and anytime the nighttime temp is below 50 degrees with roundup you need to bump that roundup rate by 50 percent in our experience as long as you're still on label rate so for example if you're running 32 ounces of roundup normally and you say okay this is pretty good when the weather's warm well, unfortunately, that means 48 ounces when the weather's cold to get the same amount of effectiveness. So that's a big thing. But, yeah, burn down absolutely can work. Otherwise, if, we're, if you're in winter wheat and, and the cheatgrass is there, you didn't get it under control in the fall, what are you going to do? Well, I mean, you, you do have options. You can run PowerFlex. You can run Gold Sky. It's got PowerFlex in it. I mean, it, it's not going to be perfect anymore, but that's going to give you some fairly good suppression, and you still have pretty good rotation options for next year. So, I mean, those are probably the biggest things, but even something like Everest will give you some suppression. I mean, yeah, again, it's not going to be perfect, but think about how thick your wheat stand is. If you get any amount of suppression, then a lot of times what that means is the crop is allowed to choke out the wheat. So, that's probably where I would start, but I mean, well, that's not where I'd start. That's what I would do in the spring if I had to, but what I, where I would start is actually trying to fully control it in the fall if I can. You know, the other thing that's really a mindset change for a lot of wheat farmers, I'd say almost every wheat farmer seemingly, is looking at this as a two-pass problem rather than just, well, I need one thing that I can do. That's the one swing I'm going to take at this. Uh, the pre-emerge products, what can you really expect out of the pre's? And, you know, for growers that say, my goodness, I'm spending $10 on a pre-emerge herbicide. I'm expecting it to be lights out. Boy, that's asking a lot, especially when you look at today's wheat price. It doesn't take many bushels to pay for a 10 or even $15 treatment anymore. Yeah, and let's talk about continuous wheat. When you have continuous wheat, now you have more options. So you could go Outrider. That's what was the old Maverick when it first came out years and years ago. Um, Then there's also Olympus. In both of those cases, you're not going to be using that in the normal corn, soybean, wheat rotation. But, again, if you're continuous wheat, well, now all of a sudden, boy, I can go out there with Outrider, and it's outstanding. It's going to be even better than PowerFlex. Olympus is probably similar to PowerFlex, but, again, it's got more carryover potential. But both of those now become options for you, especially in the fall. That's when I'd want to use those. On top of that, you have to think about, all right, how else 
can I get this cheatgrass under control in my overall rotation? So let's say I do have soybeans in my normal rotation with wheat. Well, I'm making absolutely sure I have 100% grass control coming out of my soybeans. And it's easy and very inexpensive in soybeans. Corn, not too bad, especially if you had Roundup corn. You can do it very inexpensively. But you have to make sure every blade of cheatgrass is out of every other crop where it's tough to control. So then when you get to wheat, it isn't as big of an issue. Yes, that you have to look at your whole rotation, especially with a tough weed like this. And you also have to recognize this as a winter annual weed. And knowing that, dealing with it in the fall is almost always the best situation. Some of these drought conditions and, and just crazy weather patterns have made this a little bit tougher for areas that didn't get much germination on some of these weeds late in the year. They didn't really have a great shot to, to take at it other than putting on a residual herbicide and hoping for the best. Yeah, I, I mean, the drought can be a problem. Part of the reason why it becomes a problem, too, is if you don't get the best stand or something goes wrong there with your crop and you have any little gaps out there. We, we talk about it all the time here on the show that crop canopy is the very best weed killer there is. So that, well, I'll just say this. Earlier today, I was giving a speech on drainage to a bunch of farmers and commissioners in this particular county that I was talking to and everything because they had all these questions about drainage. But I mean, it starts with even something like that where you say, what, this has nothing to do with weed control. Yeah, it absolutely does. Because if you don't have great drainage and you don't have great fertility, and I'm not just talking NP and K, I'm talking zinc, sulfur, boron, copper, all these other nutrients too. If you don't do all that stuff right, well, your crop isn't given the chance to choke out the weed. So that's where it really starts and it might take a few years to get all those things fixed so you just you got to get going on it you got to work on it do the best you can like you said run with a two-shot program pre and post and a lot of times you can suppress that cheatgrass enough even if there's a little bit out there you suppress it enough so it doesn't hurt your yield that's really all we're after all right, we're talking about cheatgrass control on today's show. Certainly one of the toughest weeds when we get into raising any cereal crop, uh, grass crops in general. Grass weeds are the toughest things out there. So we get some ideas hey, Darren, on how to control yeah. it. Yep, go ahead. Hey, well, one other thing I wanted to mention before we take our first break is just that a lot of these herbicides are ALS. Even, let's say, beyond. If you go clear field weed and you say, oh, beyond's going to solve all my problems. Okay, that's ALS. Everest is ALS. Outrider, Powerflex, Olympus. I mean, everything we've been talking about is all ALS. So you got to think about how do I get other things in the rotation whenever there's a chance, and how do I keep this thing under control because I don't want to have to worry about resistance in the future. Great point. Great point. Weed resistance is certainly going to play into this discussion on spring cheatgrass control. We'll also be taking your calls and questions throughout the show at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Stay tuned. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right Fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. It's planting season. Race against the clock season. 
mistakes can't happen season. And no one helps you face it all like John Deere. Putting technology in your hands that gets you in and out of the field faster. That makes your spacing and depth more accurate. And that gives you the confidence that this season will be your best season. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we field heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new battalion amped herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Officer Jones calling for backup. 10-4, location? Graver back 40. Looks like we've got Palmer Amaranth, Kosha, some common water hemp. Resistant weeds. Copy that. You'll need a good tank mix partner. I'm sending tough 5 EC. Come out with your hands up! Guys, we're surrounded. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belgian Crop Protection. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD. It is spring now. Well, at least according to the calendar, it is. Hopefully, outside it starts looking a little more like spring on our farm. But on your farm, things may be greening up. And one of the things that you'll often see early in the year are some of these winter annuals, like cheatgrass, for example. We're going to talk just a little bit how to about how to control that. But I would say this too: uh, if you're not a, a guy, see, well, I don't have cheatgrass on my farm. You probably have a winter annual that that's bothering you. Maybe it's mare's tail. Uh, maybe it's dandelion. Maybe it's uh, chickweed. There's just tons of them out there. Think about the same kind of rules of thumb that we'll talk about cheatgrass for just about any winter annual weed that you might face. And uh, also, you know, whether that's a fall treatment, whether that's using pre-emerge herbicides, whether that's making sure your burn down is all set up to go, uh, th- those things are definitely going to help you. And what I find, especially well, our next guest uh, farms uh, about as far north as we do, maybe even a little farther north. Uh, listen to the guys that are further north. They they face some tough conditions, whether it's extreme dry or just extreme cold. And getting products to work in those situations can be tough. So I always find some tips when I get to uh, compare notes, especially with guys that, that are farming further north and west of me uh, when it comes to burn down. So let's head out west. Let's out, go out to Montana here. We've got Mitch with us right now. Mitch, how's it going? That's uh, going good. Hope I didn't put any pressure on you there or any buildup that you're going to give us tons of wisdom today. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, uh, do you ha- first of all, do you have cheatgrass ever in your area? Uh, yeah, I. you know, that's funny you bring it up. It's probably our number one issue. It's probably been for the last, you know, 20 years. Um, that, that winter annual is our worst um, um, by far on our place. So we, we, we've gone about several different ways of trying to get rid of it. Okay. And, and, you know, conditions can be so much different. I mean, you can actually get moisture in Montana. It's amazing, but it does happen sometimes. And you can also be super, super dry. So talk to us about uh, what, what you're facing this year. Are you coming out of really dry conditions this year where you're at? Oh, I think we're sitting just about right. We, we had a pretty good fall um, 
in the late fall was pretty good. Um, so we got some good moisture, and then winter's been uh, it's been hit or miss, you know, in Montana. You know, we've, we've had snow. It just hasn't been a lot in my area off and on. You know, they call it eight, ten inches of snow, and you might get two or four. So, um, But we just kind of take what we can get in the wintertime and hope for a good spring, you know. Sure, sure. Okay, so decent moisture in the fall. Did that mean cheat grass and some of these other winter annuals got off to a good start? Um, you know, it was, it was kind of late cause we were all predominantly a uh, winter, summer, fall, a winter wheat area where I'm at. Um, so we kind of, I, I, uh, I do a fall treatment, I guess is what I've been doing lately. Um, pre-plant, um, lay down a product called Zidua and, uh, works really well for us. And, um, also been doing, uh, some rotation with, uh, Roundup Ready, uh, alfalfa and then i also throw clear field winter wheat in there too so i kind of i've had enough of cheat grass so we kind of we tr- throwing everything at it at once here and it's expensive to get rid of but it's expensive to have you know yeah yeah that's for sure it's it's more expensive to have uh, okay so talk to us about the residual piece uh, i know that there are a lot of farmers that say okay i'm nervous about these residuals haven't used them in cereal crops before What's been your experience with moisture that it takes to get them to activate? And, and then just what would you say your control percentage is? Are you back spraying multiple times after that, or is it pretty much taking care of about all the cheatgrass? You know, it, I've lucked out. It's, um, I've had a few neighbors use it as well. And um, uh, the first year I didn't do is, you know, four, four or 500 acres of my farm and just trying it out and make sure it worked, you know, and uh, got really, really good control there. I bet got to be up in the 90s for sure percent 95 um i don't have to come back in the spring and, and spray anything on it and uh the last two years i've actually done the whole place with it so or all my winter wheat acres and that uh it's proven to be a a really good deal so far and like i said i'm, I'm careful with stuff you know i want to mix stuff up and so i'm probably going to go away from it for a little bit and throw different some modes of action at it because I don't want to mess with uh, anything, you know, resistance type stuff. But uh, we used to we used to do a lot of uh, spring apply. Um, it's a product called Power Flex, and it was just a band aid. We didn't we get hit or miss control, and um, it's kind of expensive to do. And we'd spot spray and do this and that, and it was just it was always a mess and a pain in the butt, especially with the weather too. Um, you know, dinging the wheat this. You know, in March, April, you, you got to get it on early, but you can't have freezing conditions and stuff, and that's kind of tough in my area. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. Well, I was thinking about that too. A lot of these spring treatments, they're they're good products. They're just the weather is so against you. It, it's well, and I know we were talking about here even on our own farm that when the sun does come out, we we get windy, and I know you guys get windy out in Montana too. And then then you can't really spray those days, and it's still getting awfully cold at night too. Yeah, yeah, we get really cold at night, especially if my, I live in an area, too, where it's kind of flat ground and a, kind of in a bowl, and it'll it'll get quite a bit colder than the surrounding areas, kind of settles down in there. And, um, so you got to be careful with the weather in the springtime, for sure. 
Now, you mentioned the the rotation. So Roundup Ready Alfalfa, obviously Roundup does a pretty nice job on it. And, and of course, Alfalfa is going to choke out a lot of stuff. Uh, what's been your success there? What do you see as weed challenges uh, that, that that wipes out and also that that, uh, okay, we get rid of one thing, but maybe we gain another problem? Um, I haven't seen too many other problems that pop up with it. Um, I primarily try to do the the Roundup Ready alfalfa and, and rotate it pretty quick. I don't have any cattle or anything. I just sell it to my neighbors. But um, I'm mostly in it for the nitrogen effect, and I guess the Roundup Ready is thrown in there just to, to clean up fields as well, jointed goat grass, stuff like that. But mainly the cheat grass is what I was after. So if I have a dirty field, I'll leave it in a little bit longer um, and uh, get some good control out of it. And um, It's just done on done a good job for us and like i said it just gives you another mode of action kind of at it you know instead of using these um expensive products like clearfield and zidua um stuff like that yeah in the in the clearfield winter wheat uh, you you still have the option of zidua but you do have the option of beyond uh how how has that worked for you uh it's been a good product um i uh, I, I like it i don't like the cost of it too much but um it's kind of like uh we used to we used to stay on our place. Oh, it's a next year problem. Well, that's that's really not working anymore. So we're we use it as a tool, I guess I would say. And uh, it's been a pretty good tool, and they got some good varieties out anymore um, that really help. So um, I really like the system. It's kind of time consuming at times, but um, overall, when you get in the combine at harvest time, you're pretty you're pretty happy with it. You know, you you think about crop rotation and, and just some of these advantages and getting different modes of action. Obviously, Zidua being a group 15 has been a nice one. Uh, we're talking with Mitch out in Montana. And, yeah, to talk about group 15s in Montana is a little different. So I think you got a lot of your neighbors maybe that are that are catching on to this. Are you finding other guys in your area that are saying, hey, what are you doing? Because you don't have cheatgrass anymore. Yeah, I get a lot of neighbors, you know, they – they're hesitant to use it because it's kind of expensive where we're at. You know, we're not we're not high yield area, but um, they're always. I'm, I did the same thing to my neighbor. Well, did it really work? You know, did it work for you? How you know? And it's it's nice when you can talk to your neighbors and you get a straight answer from them. You know, and um, there's a lot of people using it now in this area, so it, it works really well. Yeah. That's a good thing. We need we need something to stop cheatgrass control because, like you had mentioned before, trying to wipe it out with post-emerge treatments in the spring is is uh, beyond difficult. Now we're talking with Mitch here out in Montana. Mitch, thank you so much. Really appreciate you sharing a little bit about uh, cheatgrass and good luck. You're heading into the spring. All right. Well, thank you. You guys have a have a good year. You bet. You as well. Well, also good to hear they've got decent levels of moisture right now. That's that's a great way to start things. And uh, certainly if you've got some moisture out there and you get cheatgrass off to a start, it, it can be a tough weed. So we're talking about killing cheatgrass. And yes, we can just say, you know, you should have done something in the fall. I get it. But what can you do now to, to try and control cheatgrass? We'll cover that as well coming up. And we'll take your calls and questions at 844 844- 44 Ag PhD. Stay tuned. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. 
with three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab. It's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at HeadsUpST.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio, talking about spring cheatgrass control. But of course, that also starts generating some other spring questions that have come along. Uh, Brian, you ready for a couple of mailbag questions that have come in as well? Yeah, go ahead. All right, first one, this one comes from Kevin, and he said, guys, we just picked up some farm ground down in Arkansas just before corn planting this season, so we didn't have a chance to address the fertility aspects ahead of planting due to the weather down in here, and so we went ahead and planted. So we got corn in the ground, but not out yet, and just curious, is it possible for us to come over the top with potash, uh, like 100 or 150 pounds, and will that reach the roots by, say, V5 or V6? 
the ground, we don't have the soil test back yet, but we know the CEC in this area is around 35. We usually get a few inches of rain before that V5, V6 timing. We do have irrigation that we could also turn on as well. Our yield goal is about 170, and uh, just judging by the neighbors across the fence, they've got uh, about a 2.5% base saturation K in this area naturally, so we're guessing it's somewhere around there. Okay, so first of all, I would never recommend that. I, I would always want to get the, especially phosphorus, but even potash out there in advance. So potash doesn't break down real easily, number one. And number two, it doesn't move real easily through the soil when it's very heavy soil like that. Now, if you had sand, let's say instead of 35, it was five, and you were going to get all kinds of rain or irrigation, then I would say, all right, some is going to move down and you're probably going to be fine. Um, there's a very tiny percentage that is going to get to those roots uh, this season. And I'd say your odds of having any reach there by V5 are very, very slim. So it's possible. I, I'm not saying it's not possible, but it's not likely. Yeah, I guess our strategy, and I, I know everything's different, and sometimes when things pop up at the last minute, you just don't have the manpower to get out and get samples pulled and all this kind of stuff. But in those cases, usually I would say we just try and feed the crop for this year at least rather than going out there blind. And maybe you did. Maybe there's some other things that you're not mentioning here too that maybe you have starter on the planter or maybe you have a two-by-two two set up and you're able to deliver a bunch of fertility. But, yeah, when it comes to P and K on heavy ground, they just don't move down into the soil very well so if we can somehow get those deeper that would sure help later in the season definitely all right thanks for that question we appreciate it uh keith had a question and and this one is related to double cropping he said i've got a question about your pre's for soybeans so we're going to double crop soybeans this summer uh, and we're going to plant sorghum next spring However, uh, there are a lot of restrictions on sorghum. I'm just kind of curious how much residual there really is on some of these products. First of all, you can't use metribuzin due to restrictions on sorghum. That seems kind of crazy. How long does metribuzin actually last? Uh, two or three months. So if you're going to use it in the spring or summer, the odds that it's going to hurt anything next year is slim to none. Yeah, I agree. I, but let's put it this way. You have to follow whatever the label says. Now, I can't, I, I don't remember off the top of my head what the Metribuzin label says. And Darren, uh, you've got our, so in our Ag PhD workshop books, you can look that up real quick. What we do every year is we put together a number of different charts. Now, granted, labels can change. So, but we, we do put on there, what does the label say for rotational restriction to different crops? Sorghum as an example. So, Darren, if you look up Metribuzin, there should be some form of Metribuzin. There are a lot of different name brands, but there should be some Metribuzin on there, and it will say how many months to rotate to sorghum. So, uh, 18 months. Up, it's 18, 18 months in the label. What's that? 18 months. And I, I mean, yep. to me, a lot of times when you have those numbers like 18 months, they just didn't pay for the testing because they didn't think that was going to be a problem. Right. Right. Honestly, I wouldn't have even thought about that. Um, we have raised some sorghum on our farm after soybeans, and we had metribuzin out there at a third of a pound. Zero problem, tremendous yield on the sorghum. But we can't, as agronomists, tell you to do something that's off-label. So there you go. Yeah. 
and Valor, just val- regular Valor would be one month. So no big deal. So the Valor part's fine. And he says, yeah, I get it. I can use Valor. But he said on Prowl, it says 10 months. And on the label, it says only if you use less than four ounces. I wonder if that's four pints. But uh, yeah, it's it, the label does vary depending on your rate. Uh, yeah, you have to be careful with the yellow. So trifluralin lasts longer in the soil than prowl does. So prowl would absolutely be the yellow that I would use. And I agree with that. I'm I, I, Honestly, I'm not even concerned at all about metribuzin, but I'm very concerned about prowl. If I use a really high rate, and if, let's say, I used it twice per season, because he said double crop, double crop soybeans. And I don't know if double crop soybeans means he was going wheat first and then soybeans. Yeah, the he said his, is, his pre on soybeans way, is going out in June. Yeah, I mean, either way, you get started later in the year, and it's like, oof, you don't have as much time to get rid of stuff. But here's the thing. He's not farming in South Dakota either. In South Dakota, our ground freezes in November or a lot of times early December and then it's way until mid-April so if your ground is warmer then herbicides are going to break down faster the more rain you have and the warmer the ground the faster that breakdown will occur the less carryover potential you have but yes I can understand the concern Let's put it this way. If you aren't able to use some of the best options, then you you have to have other things available. So on our farm this year, we're going to raise some conventional beans. There are a lot of people out there that raise and extend soybeans. Well, those aren't very good options. You don't have as many late choices. Whereas in list, okay, I'm very comfortable spraying 2,4-D later, and I have liberty as well. So I am just trying to say it all depends on your rotation and, and, and what you're trying to do where you think back to, all right, what are my herbicide options? So I'm glad he's looking at this, but let's, let's make sure that we've got enlist soybeans out there so I can spray both the Liberty and the 2,4-D later. Now, granted, extend flex. At least you'd have Liberty as a late option, and Liberty has no residual. But 2,4-D, Dicamba, Liberty, Roundup, all those things either have no residual or low residual. So zero worries. So I get it that you might say, boy, I want to go total post, but you want to still get some freeze out there. And Darren, you had a good point that Valor, hey, that's only one month to sorghum. And you can run higher rates on Valor. You don't just have to go two ounces. You could go all the way to three if you wanted to. All right. So the other thing that that he asked about is uh, a product called Anthem Max. He said, "What would you think about Anthem Max versus Valor?" But Anthem Max on their label, they they've got a long enough resi- or rotational restriction that that might not be the case. But what about Warrant? Warrant's actually labeled in sorghum. Yeah, yeah, it, and that, that's a Group 15, and most of the Group 15s are labeled in sorghum as long as it's concept treated. So, yeah, we're we're not worried about Group 15s at all. What we prefer to do is save the group 15 for early post, although it can be used pre-emerge in soybeans if you had to, but we'd rather see other stuff get used pre and then save that group 15 for early post to kind of extend the residual. Yeah, you could. And don't forget if you're planting soybeans that you can spray Roundup over. Roundup does a nice job cleaning up grass post-emerge, doesn't offer you any residual, but at least if there's grass that comes through, because like you look at Valor, you're going to get half the grass maybe two-thirds the grass at best uh probably half right 
it's not that's not good enough. I understand that. But if he can come back with Roundup, and Roundup will kill the grass. I know there's some broad leaves that Roundup struggles with, but on the grass, it does a nice job. Yeah, but honestly, if it's me, I'm running Valor and a low-rated Prowl. And again, we yeah, I honestly didn't even realize that the rotational restriction was 18 months. We have done it with a third of a pound of metribuse and gone back to sorghum even in our geography, and it's been phenomenal. So, I, I, I mean, I know the metribuse is not carrying over, but again, if it's not labeled, we can't tell you to do it. Yep, nope, good job checking on these labels, Keith, and, and thinking about that weed control up front. And obviously you can add some residual, like Brian had mentioned, with the Group 15, like Warrant, uh, to your to your post-emerge to try and give you some more residual to last you a little bit further into the season. Yeah, it's interesting. When you get into the double crop situations, you really got to watch those labels. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. And now when you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. Offer good while supplies last, so order yours today at FarmShopMFG.com. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kid's area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This whole midnight ride thing is getting really... But the HPPD-resistant weeds are coming. We've got Verdict Herbicide. Verdict Herbicide? Yeah, it's a non-HPPD corn pre-herbicide from BASF. Oh, well then, get some sleep. Yeah, will do. The 
Grenades are coming! Switch to Verdict Herbicide! Always read and follow label directions! Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio, and we've been talking about spring cheatgrass control, and also taking your calls and questions at eight four four forty four Ag PhD. Brian, anything else you want to talk about on, on cheatgrass, or you want to keep taking some more mailbag questions here? No, I covered it in the first segment. That's, I mean, most of what I know on cheatgrass. Okay, I, I mean it's all. Make sure you have good drainage, good fertility, and do everything you can to raise a great crop. So it's use a pre, use a post, use a burn down, do whatever you can, and make sure this thing is under control on every other crop so it doesn't kill you in wheat. So that's my very quick 30-second summary. Okay. Uh, I got another soybean question. This one comes from Jay in Michigan. He said, uh, Hey guys, I want to ask you about your three pre's and soybeans. I'm no-till and I'm now new to doing my own spraying, so I'm planning on using your three pre's. I'm concerned about burn down of anything that could be up, including I have a cover crop out there that's rye. Is there enough burn down with the Prowl Authority Metribuzin program to handle typical early spring weed pressure, or is that something where you add a Roundup no. or another preferred burn down yep. partner? Yep, Roundup, Gramoxone, Liberty something like that you need to add because, no, those three things are not going to cut it. Now, I will say you're going to get some burndown activity out of either Valor Authority as well as out of Metribuzin. So it's not like when you, let's say, throw Gramoxone out there, it's not like your normal Gramoxone kill because Gramoxone's fine. But, boy, when you have a PPO and Metribuzin with it, um, now it's fire. So, yeah, it really, the, the, the three pre's have burned down activity. It's just not phenomenal, and we want it to be great. you got to start clean and no-till. All right, when you think about that burn down, we had um, Mitch on out in Montana, and he was talking about how difficult spraying in the early spring, especially to kill something that's been growing since last fall was for him in, right. in Montana. Yep. And here we are, Jay's up in Michigan doing this for the first time. So what are some of the things you think about there, Brian? I mean, to me, I, I just think about how you need great coverage. You need to get out there when it's nice and warm, not just that day, but a couple days before and hopefully a couple days after you spray too. Yeah, for sure. You want the weeds to be actively growing. Um, I, I, when you talk about great coverage, though, let's let's get into that a little bit more. Yes, we want great coverage, but... On top of that, I want a concentrated droplet, and here's what I mean. You could go out there with 20 gallons of water, and there are some people that do talk about, oh, you have to have 20 gallons of water all the time, and every herbicide works better all the time. That is completely untrue. That is not true. We want less water rather than more, because when you're out there spraying early in the spring, if everything is tiny, so I'll just give you the example on our own farm. We'll burn down, usually it'll be the early part of May. The weeds are a half an inch to an inch tall. That's it. When I've got a tiny little blade of grass or a little broadleaf with just a cotyledon there, I can get one droplet on there, maybe two. That's it. So if I don't have good concentration, I'm in trouble. And if you go 20 gallons of water, what's going to happen is every droplet is that much more watered down. 
So I don't want that. I want five gallons, seven gallons, something like that, if everything is small. Now, if we're trying to burn down a cover crop that's now 18 inches tall, that's a different story, okay? What I'm talking about is bare ground, and I've got tiny, tiny little weeds. So just be thinking about that. There's a big difference. If everything's big, sure, a little more water is fine. But when everything's small, you want less water. Either way, I like having a fair amount of spray pressure. We want to make sure that we're getting coverage not just on the tops of the leaves, but as much as we can on the underside of leaves. But we want medium to small droplets. We do not want big droplets to get in order to get good coverage. Darren mentioned the weather. Yes, we want it warm. In addition to that, we want to have the right spray adjuvant. So most of the time in the spring, just having a non-ionic surfactant is probably okay because it's going to spread that around across the leaf. It's going to stick on there and everything. Where crop oils and methylated seed oils really come in handy is when we have to penetrate through the thick wax on a weed. That usually doesn't happen until the weed has suffered from drought, heat, things like that, and as a defense mechanism so the plant doesn't release too much water through the leaves, there will be this waxy leaf surface that gets going. So that wax is what you're trying to penetrate through with the crop oil and methylated seed oil. Beyond that, I'd just say a lot of people want to put fertilizer out there in the spring, liquid fertilizer, and we do too. But you have to be careful what you're mixing that with. Two reasons. Number one, we worry about having problems in the tank, so mixing issues. That's where you've got to make sure you've got a compatibility agent on the farm all the time in case you start mixing stuff together and it's like, uh-oh, it's starting to look bad. You want to get it before it becomes sludge. The other thing along with that is some herbicides do not work well with fertilizer. For example, Roundup. You put that with 10 gallons of liquid fertilizer and your Roundup will not be as effective as if you mix it with water. What happens is almost any contaminant that might be in that fertilizer, and there's usually dirt or other things in there. I mean, it doesn't have to be at a high level, but some of those things can neutralize your Roundup. So be a little bit careful about what you're mixing with that herbicide in addition to just your good adjuvant. All right, thanks for the question, Jay. Really appreciate that. Get this one that came from Travis up in Michigan, and he said, guys, I've got a small acreage, and I'm having trouble with biennial or perennial thistles. The fields were soybeans last year, and they were sprayed, and it killed the thistles, or at least we thought so, but they came back. Now, from what I've heard and found, tillage could be the best option, but I've been no-till on this light sand for five years. I don't want to do any tillage. What, what can I do no, to control a biennial or perennial thistle? Super high rate of Roundup when the weather's been good. So we want two or three quarts of Roundup out there. You can, I think you can go through, well, it all depends on which formulation of Roundup you've got, but just look at whatever the maximum label rate is pre-emerge, or at least I'm talking before the crop comes up, and you want to hit it as hard as you can. And then you hit it in crop. And then you hit it after the crop. But we like no-till because now you haven't chopped up those roots. That means that the root system is all together on a big perennial weed. If it's just a biennial, I rarely have anybody that has any problem at all with biennial thistles in crop, in a Roundup Ready crop. I mean, that that's typically not an issue. But what happened to you last year is, you had a rate of Roundup that was enough to burn it to the ground, 
not enough to fully kill the entire root system on the perennials. So that, to me, it sounds like the problem. Now, it could have been something else. Like we were just talking about diluting down the herbicide with too much water. Maybe it was something like that. I don't know for sure. Maybe it was you sprayed when the weather was too cool. Uh, that's where we see most issues happening with Roundup. Yeah, I realize there's some resistance out there with different weeds, but when we're talking thistles, we don't have a resistance issue. What we have is a rate issue. And if the weather is cold, the herbicide is not absorbed into the plant as well. It's not allowed to translocate to the growing point as well. And now you end up with less than a lethal dose. That's a problem. So those are just my first thoughts as to what could be going on. And there are other herbicides that can be used. So Stinger, we love in wheat or corn and things like that. But if you start bumping that Stinger rate high enough, you do an amazing job on your Canada thistle patch, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have carryover into your soybeans the next year, I can almost guarantee you. So you have to be a little bit careful about which herbicides you're using, when you're using them, things like that. But there are plenty of options for thistles. It used to be our number one weed on the farm, but then we started with Stinger. That pretty much finished them off. And then when Roundup came out, um, it was it was done. I haven't even seen a thistle out in our crop fields in years. Yep, it's been a big change, and it happened really quickly too. I mean, it wasn't like it took us twenty years to to get rid of the thistles. It's it can be as much as just one application. Now, here's the other thing. When you've got all that extensive root system, there could be some other shoots that are just about to pop out. So chances are it's going to take you at least a couple of times, but you should be able to knock them out. Hey, thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. We'll be back with more of your calls and questions right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. My mom's got a new case I extractor and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car, steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her case I extractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out caseih.com. Get what you spray for, results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. 
It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a Champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trivolt Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Kind of fun digging through the the Ag PhD mailbag here in the Morton studio, and lots of different questions, uh, some different crops, some different ideas. I mean, we've been talking about things for so long this winter, and now we actually get to get out to the field and put things into practice. So that's kind of cool to to get to that point. And one of those guys that had called in for some advice was David out in Pennsylvania. And he said, hey, Brian and Darren, a month ago, you guys had answered some questions uh, from a previous email that I sent uh, where I indicated my intention to increase my soil phosphorus levels to a minimum of 60 parts per million. Brian suggested I might even try to get to 100 or even 200 parts per million and also applying some zinc and copper as I'll be sowing down new Timothy fields this spring. Now, I totally understand the reasoning that now is the time to boost levels of immobile nutrients. Uh, but my follow-up question is, do you expect to see more hay yield or higher hay quality by applying that much fertility? Or is the reasoning simply that now is the time to get the immobile nutrients like phosphorus, zinc, and copper down into the ground? All right, Brian, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not. we're not putting fertility out there for fun. We're putting it out for yield and also to make the soil better. Because if you stop and think about it a second, you're like, what? How does fertilizer make the soil better? So this is one of the things that absolutely drives me crazy. People out there say, well, you don't want to put fertilizer on the ground and it's not making the ground better or whatever. I'm like, you're nuts. What ha- here's, how, here's how soil gets better. Soil gets better because we're raising more crop. The more crop you have, the more roots you have, and the more sugars that those roots put out into the soil – attracting more microbes. If you read in almost any farm magazine anymore, they're talking about overall soil health. Well, that doesn't just happen by magic. You don't just let the ground go and you have better soil health. That's nonsense. You fertilize the ground, you raise more crops, you increase microbial populations in the soil, and now you're getting somewhere. Now you're overall going to end up with a healthier soil. That's fun. So, yeah, we're, we're suggesting that you put on a lot of P and K at the start of your perennial crop plan because 
now is your chance to get it in the ground. Because it's in the ground, now you will have more yield over a period of time. In year one, it's not going to make as much difference. If you already had enough P and K out there, well, who cares? But by year three, you will, have de you will have depleted that, and you can't lay it on the soil surface and get it down into the root system very well. It just doesn't work that way. So if you can put it down in the ground, you will be better off for year two, year three, year four, year five, however long you're leaving that out there. That's really what we're after. And then the other thing is, I mean, sure, you're, repl you're replacing what you took off that ground, but you could have done that just broadcasting the fertilizer and putting a little bit on each year. My whole point is, sure, I can do that and replace the nutrients I'm removing, but if I don't get those nutrients down into the soil to where my crop needs them, I, I, I mean, I'm not going to say I'm wasting the money because I got them out back out on the field, but I'm wasting the money for that crop. I'm not maximizing yield with the dollars invested, and that's really what we want to try to accomplish. All right. Thanks for the for the clarification questions, David. Really appreciate that. And good luck to you. Let us know how you turn out this year with your Timothy production. Uh, I get this one in from Bobby, and he said, guys, you talked one time about things you could spray in your yard to stop moles. I can't remember what product you guys were using, but can you talk me through the problem of having moles in your yard, why they're there, and what you think could help me get them out? Okay, typically these, these rodents, whether it's voles, moles, anything else that end up in your yard, why are they there? Um, I was talking to somebody about this, and some of it was some other crop, and I'm like, okay, just think about the animals that are now in your, on your farm, in your, on your ground. Why are they there? They're, they're not there just for fun. They're not there just so you can see them and they look nice. They're there to eat. And so if you can remove the food, then we're in good shape. Now, voles, I, 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 don't, I don't honestly remember what voles like to eat best. So I, 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 I just, I don't remember off the top of my head with voles. But I do know like with moles, one of the biggest things that we're talking about is typically grubs. We want to make sure that we're killing these bugs that the moles are eating. And how you do that is with gaucho. So that's a midocloprid, and you water it into the ground immediately. Now, there are some people that are going to talk about a midocloprid. It's a neonic, and, oh, there are bee kills with that. Well, we're spraying it on a lawn, and my suggestion is you spray it, and you immediately water it in with an inch of rain. If you do that, now you've got it down in the ground. We're not worried about the bee kills or anything like that, and it's going to get into the root system of that grass, and then it's going gonna, it's gonna to be in that grass for a little while. It's also going to be safe to your pets once you water it in and all that kind of stuff. There's no worry in terms of safety or anything like that. But we want to get it down in the ground, kill those bugs that are in the ground, and then a lot of these rodents that end up on your place, in your yard, they're not going to be there because you don't have their food. I, yeah, I don't remember on voles. Do you remember what voles eat, Darren? I don't know. They they like to chew right right at the base of the grass plants, and a lot of times you end up with nice little paths through your yard that are dead thanks to the voles and a pile of grass clippings just above them. So I don't know that they eat anything more than just the the juiciest I, part I, of the grass yeah. plant. 
Yep, I just I don't remember off the top of my head. So we typically talk about moles because that's the biggest problem that a lot of people have, but not necessarily voles. So yeah, I apologize. I don't I just I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, maybe I'll try to look that up by tomorrow. Look back in my notes because I I've got it somewhere in my notes. I just don't remember off the top of my well, head. Well, just doing a quick little search online, it said voles uh, are also known as meadow mice. And they feed their herbivores, feeding on grass, yeah, tree bark, roots, tubers, and vegetables. Yeah. So, yep, yep. They're, they're eating grass. Yeah, I don't know. I, I Yeah, so I don't really know how you'd repel something that's there to eat the grass. Unless they like something better and you put that somewhere else and get them pulled away from your grass. But, yeah, I, 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 I'm not sure. And let's put it this way. We don't typically talk about things that could – okay, so there are – there are certainly products out there that can kill mice and gophers and voles and things like that, or even, heck, moles directly. We talk about safe products for human beings and things that are going to kill insects but not hurt rodents and humans. There, there are products out there. I just, I don't like, I don't want to go down that path because it's dangerous. And if something were to happen, if you've got kids or whatever, somebody gets in the wrong stuff, I, we, we, I, I just, I don't want that. I'm always looking for an alternative, some safe way to do something rather than, oh, I'm going to throw a bunch of poison out in my yard. No way. No, thank you. Okay. Uh, another question that came in this is from Tristan. Uh, you guys have done conversions of parts per million to pounds per acre on phosphorus, for example. Just wondering, are the conversions the same whether you run a Malik test or if you're looking at an Olson test or a Bray test? If yep. not, if there's anything different, let me know, please. Yeah, the conversions are the, exactly the same. Now, I will say this, like with the Olson test, and we talked about this on the show the other day, how they might say, oh, 20 parts per million is high. No, no. 20 parts per million of phosphorus is never high. But if that's all the Olson test is showing and you're still able to get, whatever, 250 bushel corn, that shows you that the Olson test is not accurate at all. That's part of the reason why we're not real big fans of the Olson test. I get it that you might say, well, we think it's more accurate in high pH soil. I don't think it's accurate at all. I, I, it's not showing us what's actually there in the soil and what's going to be available. And that's really what I'm after. When I am running a soil test, I want to know how much fertility do I have that's available in my soil? How many pounds do I have? And with that Olson test, honestly, it doesn't tell me. There's more fertilizer out there than we think. And so that's why I just say it, it's wrong. But, I mean, the formula's the same if you're going to convert parts per million to pounds per acre i'm just telling you that i don't like that extraction method all right well thanks for the question for the malik or the bray yeah i i agree i agree thanks for the question tristan we really appreciate that yeah it's important once you're looking at those soil tests to, to understand what they really mean and make the proper conversions to know how many pounds you've got out there in your field thanks for listening to our program today be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.